Hey there. For those of you listening in Seattle, I want to tell you that Niagara Moon has a gig coming up on Friday, September 29th at Connor Byrne. We are opening for Danger Bird and Warren Dunes. Show starts at 9 p.m. Come check it out if you're free. You are listening to Talking About the Passion. I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview various creative individuals in the world of music. As for myself, I'm a singer-songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. So I am switching things up a bit with the theme of this podcast, uh, because my guest for episode 37, Lillian Blair, is not primarily a recording artist. She is in fact a recording engineer and producer in the Seattle area. She's currently on staff at the Vera Projects recording studio, where she helps guide local musicians through what is often their first professional recording experience. She actually recorded the drum tracks for the upcoming second Niagara Moon album, so I can attest to her absolute professionalism in the studio. Lillian has also worked as an assistant engineer for sessions at the Kill Room and London Bridge Studios, where she also completed her internship. And London Bridge is a pretty big deal around here, folks. They've recorded several top acts in the business over the last 30 years, from Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam to Fleet Foxes and Macklemore. Anyway, Lillian wanted me to let you know she's having a free studio workshop at the Vera Project this Saturday, September 23rd. More details are available in the episode description, and we'll touch on it in our conversation too. But if you're a musician wanting to record, and you don't know what to do next, make this the thing you do next. Their facility is awesome and their rates are really affordable. Anyway, we're gonna hear a short example now of Lillian's mixing work with the band Twice Nice, and then we'll get into the interview. So this is a snippet of Twice Nice's song, I'm Leaving. So I guess we'll dig in. All right. Lillian, thanks so much for coming Absolutely. over. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So um, I guess we'll start with what do you do right now that's related to music? What are your different tasks, your different roles? Um, I'm currently the staff engineer at the Vera Project Studios and recently elected co-chair of the Vera Audio, Audio Committee. So Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, that'll be really interesting because I, I mean, I coming, I'm coming at it from the position of we're doing a major upgrade for the show capacity, like the live side of it. We mm -hmm. just did a major upgrade for the silkscreen studio there. But the recording studio is 
it doesn't really get as much work as I'd like. And I'm hoping that in my time there, I can turn it around. Because I think that if for nothing else, then the fact that it has a professional level input and output count, that uh, opens up a lot of opportunities for uh, doing that kind of workflow and for really pushing what you can do in a studio. It's not setting up eight microphones in a basement and then recording a drum kit and then laying stuff on top of it. You can get the whole band playing together and that gets the musicians interacting. It ultimately gets better performances out of everyone and it's way more fun than having three people sit around while one person gets to do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you have a great live room over there. It's a totally central location, like literally yeah. right near the Space Needle. Yeah. So you initially approached the Vera Project because you were interested in doing live sound, but then you kind of learned more about it and realized well, that you were more interested in studio work specifically? I, I started partway through my second year at Shoreline. Okay, so Shoreline so, Community <laughs> College. Yeah. So, they have, so you were in the like audio engineering program there? Yeah. Um, I started at... Shoreline Community College, I think 2014 in the fall, and I did their digital audio engineering program. Uh, the music tech department at Shoreline has three branches. There's the digital audio engineering, the MIDI music, and the marketing business branch. Um, and I did the digital audio engineering, and that's divided between analog music recording and sort of digital post-production with a bit of overlap because in a modern studio you're going to have significant digital reliance while still using the analog equipment. Yeah. Partway through the the second year as I like I originally went in to get into broadcast um because I thought that would be a fun career. And, so you mean like television? Yeah. And uh then once we actually got to that part I realized I didn't actually enjoy the work and when since I got into this to enjoy the day-to-day work, it is sort of like, wow, do I really want to pursue something that is about as difficult as a music career, it seems? In what I've looked into doing post, it seems like it has the same hurdles you have to jump through in order to When you say post? Posts like radio or television, um, doing audio for visual synchronization. I guess a lot of that wants to draw a lot of those places want to draw from journalism and communication programs and then train them up on the audio side instead of the Coming opposite. Coming out the other way. Yeah. yeah. It, and ultimately, like, I really, really, really loved making music. Mm-hmm. So I was looking for a more music route to begin with and then started volunteering and doing monitor mixes for the bands. And it was fun, but I don't know. It just didn't call to me the way studio work does. Once the Shoreline program ended, Vera started up its studio internship again, so I did that. And that lasted for about six months, and then I did an internship at London Bridge. So how did you get your foot in the door at London Bridge? How did I get my foot in the door at London Bridge? That is a top-tier facility. That is a top-tier facility. Best drum room in the city. I wouldn't disagree. (laughs) Uh... If you want to know what it sounds like, just put on Pearl Jam's 10 and listen to the end of the snare drum hits, that huge bah! That is all a very meticulously designed and built space. Uh, what's wonderful about miking drums there is, especially for the room, you just stick them up wherever, and it's going to sound good. And you don't have to worry about 
being in a bad spot where yeah. there's any frequency buildup or anything like that. I mean, it's one of the most ideal places in the world to to work as an audio engineer if you're just really in a high fidelity sound and recording. And right. And I mean, it's also one of the very few vintage Geneve consoles that still exists in the world. I th Yeah, that thing is a behemoth. Yeah, <laughs> that it's it's big and old and cranky and sounds wonderful. And most studios only have a few of those pre-amp EQ modules and London Bridge has 30. 30, three zero. Yeah. I don't know how much that is worth in dollar amounts, but it's worth a lot. Oh, the economy of a small country. Yes. <laughs> the GDP. And, and once you get on those old boards, it's not always like, because like you can buy modern recreations of those. You can buy modern recreations of those from- I have one sitting over on the table, the oh, nice. golden age, pre-73, something like that. Awesome. Yeah. You can even, I mean, you can even buy modern versions that were made using the original schematics so they can fit into the boards that are made by the company that bought the Rupert Neve designs or whatever the original company was called. Like they just use the original schematics to make these things. But there's, you know, a mystique that comes from using something that's from 1973 that Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Blind Melon and Candlebox and Macklemore and Death Cab and all of these yeah, great bands. All the big names yeah, in this area. That like your music is running through the same circuits that theirs did. Yeah, so getting back, how did yeah, you... How uh, did I get in there? How did you get in there? What? How did you approach so, them? Around when I started at the Vera Project, I was producing an EP for a band that I met at Shoreline. They're called Fall City. And... I was scouting studios, and the Vera was the best option. Uh, it was slightly cheaper than other studios in its tier, I guess I'd yeah, call it. Yeah. And also, I very much preferred the microphone selection that they had. Microphones for an engineer are like lenses for a photographer. They're important. So I had this EP that I had made, and I spent a lot of time working on it because I was probably learning about as much doing that one project as I did in my entire pro two-year program. Yeah, Just actually because, doing the work is yeah, almost the doing, best way to, yeah, and to it, learn all the different things you need to know. And so I spent a lot of time making it as good as I could make it. As part of going to a music program, I was eligible to join Grammy U, which is a student outreach program put on by the Recording Academy, same organization that does the Grammys. They will have a few mixers uh, a year, and as a Grammy U student, I'm eligible to go to those mixers. So I went to one, people were there to just network and schmooze with each other. And I had just completed a pretty decent rough mix of my record. So following the advice of one of my professors, uh, Sue Ennis, I had some copies of it in my bag. And uh, I don't know exactly why Jonathan Plum decided to come and talk to me, but he came up and introduced himself. And uh, Jonathan Plum. Jonathan Plum of London Bridge Studios. Okay. He's uh, the... One of the co-owners. Co-owners, okay. Um, we got to talking and just sort of talked about where I was and where I wanted to go and gave him a copy of my record and he listened to it and then brought me in to see the studio because uh, he said that he felt that I was an up-and-coming producer and would wanted to reach out to make sure that when I do get to producing that level of studio that I prefer to work there. And, and that just happened to coincide with the time when my internship at Vera was winding down. And I knew that I wanted to continue to explore, you know, larger studio recording and to just 
see what that was and try and continue to push for this recording career and push for getting my foot in the door at higher levels. And then that also just happened to coincide at a time when London Bridge had no interns. Mm, there was just a perfect opening. Exactly. So it was like two weeks after I sent in my application that I got offered a spot, which is unheard of because you usually have to wait months just for them to go through all the people who've already applied ahead of you. Wow. So how nervous were you that, that first day going there, getting the tour? <laughs> uh, what was that the, like? The, I probably felt the way that you felt when I gave you a tour of this, like, this oh place. My God. Yeah, it's like, oh my God, this is a real recording studio. Those are 40-foot ceilings, and those are some platinum records in the wall of bands that have made a massive impact. Yeah, but you went in there being like, oh, I have to be responsible for all this on some <laughs> level. I mean, I went in there wanting to learn. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you're nervous and all that, but yeah. you're also extremely interested right. and eager to learn about well, everything because, in there, too. So you're... Because that's a Neve that's a board with some of the most like mystique and legacy behind it. I mean, half of Dave Grohl's documentary was how great that era of a board is. Yeah, they made a movie about it. Yeah, they made a movie about it. But yeah, so you, so you went in there and yeah. you're just overwhelmed by the, exactly. the equipment, the uh -huh. space. When you did get that tour, did you know that you already had the internship in no, the pretty much? Or uh, was still... Cause it was still... Because that's when we talked about it. Because he was bringing me in as, here's someone who's, I want to work here. And I'm coming in as, I want to step up. And like this is a, a deficiency at the time in my experience and my knowledge yeah, yeah. that I know that I want to take you care of. You it's going to be great for your education. Yeah, and, and it's 15 minutes from my house. So... Of course, I want to go there compared to, you know, Studio X, which is downtown. I don't want to drive downtown in the morning with rush yeah, hour. Yeah. So it's perfect time. Exactly. In many different ways, mm -hmm. yeah. So you got hired two weeks later, unheard of, you're like... <laughs> well, I had to send in the application. Yeah, yeah. And because the application for Linda Bridge has to be handwritten... Ooh, why's that? I didn't get, a, like, an official explanation. I can come up with ideas, um... One idea is that you do still have to do some handwriting when you're in the studio. You have to write input lists and write on people's... So they want to make sure you don't have the handwriting of a doctor or right. something. Right, and I do. So uh -oh. <laughs> it took me three drafts to actually write the thing. And of course, I'm coming up with way more to say than the space provided. So mm -hmm. it's really small. And then, oh no, I ran out of space. Got to start over and write even smaller. But, you know, that care and that attention... Oh, I'm probably... sure they love to see the, yeah. the thought and dedication you put exactly. into that, yeah. So you uh, you filled out this application, I did. handwritten. Yes. You got accepted. You're yes. over the moon. Yes. And then um, and then what happened? What was the first? Yeah. What was the first few months like? The f the first day it was just sort of orientation. Um, I came in and I was shown all of the the cleaning duties, including pictures of what the space should look like after it has been cleaned and organized, because interns get to clean. Um, a lot of cleaning. A lot of cleaning. It's like an hour of cleaning every day on top of potentially having an hour set up that all has to be done within an hour of showing up. I think my second day there, I was able to sit in on a mixing session. And so that's a whole separate deal of when it comes to interning is how you are in the control room. Mm -hmm. I think the third day I was there, it was an overdub session and... I'm sitting very politely, you know, being neither seen nor heard in the control mm -hmm. room. And then the guitarist is switching through guitars, as you do, and ended up breaking a string on one of the guitars. 
though I'm not allowed to say it at the time, you know, I'm still listening to what's going on and trying to reverse engineer everybody's thought processes. And I knew that that guitar had a tone to it that set it apart from the other guitars that actually was of the ones that were being used. It was my favorite mm-hmm. as far as just the tone of it. And I also knew that we're in the middle of six to eight hours of just straight guitar overdubs. So nobody else is going to take the time to f- replace a string. So I'm like, hey, do you want me to replace that string? And they're like, because I've just been sitting quietly, they kind of forget that the intern's there. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, go do that. And so I ran off, and they got, you know, an extra five minutes not having to worry about it. And then there's this guitar that... Sounded up, the best. It sounded the best, and then that ended up being used on a bunch of other songs. And it's one of those things that's like, maybe they would have said, we really need this guitar on this song. Let's take five to fix the string. Or maybe they wouldn't have. Or maybe they wouldn't have because it's, oh, we don't want to take the time to do that. We'll just make do. And so the point is the band gave their compliments to my boss for me Mm. jumping in and helping them out. And that's just... So you were very observant. You kept your ears and eyes open and you do the little things that, that count. Right. It's just sort of like... Your job is to be the extra set of hands when the extra set of hands are needed. And if you stick around for the whole day, after the initial setup, you're going to do maybe one or two things. But those one or two things, that's experience, that's setting yourself apart, that's proving your usefulness, that's why you're there. Totally. Yeah, that's the -hmm. the ideal person that they're looking for to start out. And so you were an intern for how long? Uh, I was an intern there from about mid-January to mid-July, so six months. Okay, there, yeah, so half a year, and then mm-hmm. you made assistant. Kind of. Kind of. I'm currently at London Bridge. I prefer the term intern emeritus. <laughs> so what would that mean? That means that I'm... You're a senior intern. I'm no longer an intern, but I interned with distinction. <laughs> so, like, I'm not going in. I haven't been in for weeks. I, I did help out with a couple sessions after like the end date of the internship, mm-hmm. but I'm sort of at the point where I'm, you know, on the list for whenever an opening mm. happens. But since there's only ever one opening at a time, because there's only a need for one or two house engineers, it's yeah, one of those yeah. like, okay, well, I'll talk to you in two years and see if see so if in the, the meantime you're guy, getting more involved with Vera right. I started getting recording gigs from Vera directly, like, March, I think, is around when it started. You were one of my first, I think. Oh, really? Um, It's just sort of happened organically, I think. I mean, we get a little interest in our studio. That's part of why we're doing the workshop. And But so it's a little bit of work comes in. And I guess, like, a lot of the people who are involved with Vera tend to go the live route. A few have their own home studios that they like to record out of. And I'm... The only one that I know of that really went the big professional studio route um, to finish up my training. And so, I mean, I, it just sort of fell in. And then another gig came in, and then another gig came in. And then I'm just like, if I get a few more of these, I actually might be on staff. Mm. I've got keys and a door code. And <laughs> so I just decided, okay, I'm a staff engineer at the Fair Project now. And then, you know, stuff continued to come in. I've got this record that I'm working on now. That's the biggest project I've had yet. It's uh, eight songs. 
We did a couple days of tracking for basics. We still have to do vocals and then a whole bunch of mixing. And then, but then also like to go back to London Bridge, I have actually officially assisted on one or two sessions, including I was, uh, I was doing the actual assistant engineering on a song on this album coming out by the Complex Dialect funk soul rock hybrid band three vocalists sort of bringing in different perspectives and different influences really talented musicians and really timely lyrical content mm. um it's kind of i i know that it's mostly accident because there's like one song in particular and then i noticed that their demo was from almost a year ago of it uh. but it's like talking it like fits in so well with like the current resurgence and fears over nu- nuclear war. Yeah, yeah. Nuclear war. <laughs> there we go. Nuclear war. Uh, <laughs> nuclear. <laughs> and anyway. And it's all about just like the current political upheaval and how otherizing it can be, and how demoralizing and dehumanizing it is, and how you're just sort of looking for this connection with someone else amongst all of this really contemporary social anxiety. Mm. And it's coming out in November, I think. And I think it's coming out specifically because they realize that what has been for them years of social unrest and coming up with this really intricate, beautiful art to describe it is just what they're talking about is suddenly thrown into... Mm. You know, the spotlight into the spotlight into the public discourse. The cynical record producer in me is like, "Yeah, take advantage of that. Your your shit's so hot right now. <laughs> You're gonna sell lots of records." Yeah, but then like the person who's like a fan of the music is just like, "This is really affecting to me because it hits on all of these contemporary anxieties, and mm. I want to see what happens when it comes out because it could be a really cathartic thing for a lot of people." Yeah, sounds exciting. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of ties into, I was going to ask you what have been uh, some highlights of your recording career so far. (laughs) So I guess that might uh, be among them. That's definitely among them, especially because the project spanned the end of my internship. So like they started and I was, you know, the intern making coffee and setting up microphones and not saying a word. And then... And it was a big session, and you do end up bonding a bit with the band as you're there because a lot of the time, especially as an intern, like the band has downtime and you have downtime because the engineer and the assistant engineer are busy engineering and assistant engineering yep. and producing and all of that stuff, and you're just getting coffee. Uh, so you do kind of end up socializing and bonding a little bit. And it was neat that when they came in at the very end to finish it up, you know, I'd gone from, hey, would you like some coffee, to, hey, I'm running Pro Tools. Mm. So it, it does, it feels a bit like, it feels a bit symbolic of my change from that final part of training to being, you know, a working engineer and producer. Yeah. And your evolution. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And um, sort of in the same realm, what, mm. who have been some of the most interesting people you've worked with so far? So this, all of this is, was part of my internship. And it's one of those things where I was doing a bunch of assistant engineering work, but I was not the assistant engineer. Mm -hmm. And so I can't necessarily 
claim credit for anything. Right. But uh, it's at the same time, it's like, you know, you, you can't even get producers and engineers to get credit sometimes. It's just, there's no regulation of liner notes, which is one of the things that so the industry's working on. kind of anyway. to summarize, you're, you're, you've worked in certain capacities with certain artists, but you can't necessarily claim credit just I can't, okay. the way so, things are set up. Like the biggest name that I worked with, on one day, Ryan Lewis came in for recording. So Ryan Lewis is the producer for Macklemore. Yes. Yeah. And uh, he did his latest. He actually produced the latest Kesha record. Um, I <laughs> couldn't recognize any of the songs, so I don't know what he was working on. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that was actually really eye-opening as far as the process of those records is made. But it was also really eye-opening as far as like the dynamics of working in the studio with that kind of profile act. I mean, it was sort of exemplified as I was leaving that day. Um, He'd parked his fancy Tesla next to my shitty truck. <laughs> and so it's just like the two spec- <laughs> ends of the spectrum oh, of the music man. industry. <laughs> but uh, I mean, he was really, really nice, really chill. But it, the dynamic was really clear that it was just like he's here to get what he wants. And so from like an outsider's perspective, you can see always the way he interacted, it was could be interpreted as like bossy and demanding. But then... From an insider's perspective, it's... I mean, you all are in the service industry, too. Yeah, exactly. You're paid to do what he says. Yeah, and... It's the name of the game. And at the same time, like, he wasn't rude about anything. It's just that he, based on his personality and his level, can just say, you know, put a marker there. And not, hey, could you put a marker there? No, I, I get that, mm-hmm. though. That, would, that makes sense to me. Yeah. It, it, and a lot of, like, especially producers, you need to have that attitude of you're everyone is there to do what i say yeah and so i'm just going to say what you need to do and i'm not going to worry about social graces but at the same time like what i feel separates a producer that's someone like that that's good to work with like brian was Mm -hmm. versus someone who's not is like you know he wasn't mean yeah he was just saying just direct and matter of fact make things go as quickly and smoothly as possible yeah because when it comes to the workflow for that kind of record Modern pop music seems to be going towards, or away from sampled instruments, towards stuff that's actually, towards loops that are recorded for specifically for the song, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because they have the budget to do that. But what they'll do is they'll make the song using sampled, you know, virtual instruments in Ableton, and then we'll go and record live drummer playing a drum loop, Mm. and then select their favorite drum loop of it and then just plug that into Ableton so the the skeleton of the piece and you know, how it functions in the software that's already constructed and then the f- sort of final polish of it is getting something that's actually recorded because we're still not at the point like even though virtual instruments are recorded using real instruments it still doesn't have the expression and the cohesion that you would get from having an actual musician yeah. play it so that would make sense yeah so what ryan did when he came in was he you know had his setup for the drum sound that he wanted and then brought in his session drummer and it's like okay so repeat the verse for five minutes mm. and just jam on the verse section and then if you heard something he liked he'd say mark it and you just like double tap enter on the number key and that gives you a marker in pro tools and then if he thought of something he'd you know, say it through the talk back to the drummer and the drummer would adjust. And uh, 
And, you know, you did the same for the chorus. So there'd be like five minutes of the same eight bars looping over and over and over again. And then the, drum, the drummer just riffing on it. And keeping it relatively consistent because I mean, the feel is already there. But then it's, all right, now at the end of this phrase, I'm going to do this kind of fill. And at the end of this phrase, I'm going to do this kind of fill. And it's like, all right, well, now I'm just going to do a, like five tom fills in a row. And mm. ultimately, it's all about getting as many options for the producer who works in this style so yeah. they can just take... So they're going to go into all these sessions later and edit something together that's cohesive. Yeah, so they and then... have as many options as Yeah, and then plug it into their preferred DAW and then have a song. So Which seeing was, this workflow, yeah. this way of recording was kind of new to you? This it was. It was pretty it's, interesting. I mean, it's the only time that was like explicitly the way that we were doing it. And it just sort of like helped click the what I'd been hearing from, you know, people like Ryan and also Mark Ronson does this a lot, mm. where it's like those are real horn players playing real horns, but it sounds locked to the grid and has that polished nature of pop music. Yeah. And it's like, well, how do you do that? How do you get that like do you just go with a fine tooth comb and edit everything in and the answer is no kind of but you do that for a phrase and then you just repeat that phrase mm. so that's pretty cool that you get to see artists like that yeah have that sort of style to their work you get exposed to that is it typically though uh more conventional rock band yeah. setup the most uh, of the people you've worked with especially at london bridge uh it's definitely a rock studio all of the you know all the big records rock records and we get a lot of bands who you know grew up listening to those records and so they want to they want to record where their musical heroes recorded a lot of work comes from bands for whom it's a side gig and their their main job allows them to afford to record yeah. at london bridge which yeah yeah they're not broke yeah musicians yeah something. but then we also do get bands and it was like we obviously got off the road none of our gear works and you know, intern, go run and get uh, fuses for this amp. I mean, it seemed to be about even uh, as far as uh, people for whom being a musician is their main career versus a uh, side gig. Yeah, so you got kind of a mix that mm -hmm. way. So I'm um, not asking you to name any names, yeah. but uh, any particular crazy things you've seen so far? Any crazy ridiculous things. musician behavior? Yeah. Uh, it's not as bad as as, it used to as be. in the bad old days when everyone was on heroin. Not that everyone's not on heroin these days. Yeah, they just less heroin people in the studio. Right. Well, days. at the same time, like back then, if you were working for a month on a record, that was a quick record. Like you'd have six-figure budgets for these things. So you would book out the studio for six weeks or yeah, you're two months. you up there with a bunch of money. Exactly, and a bunch of drugs. And cocaine creeps in. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so nowadays, not so much that stuff. No, I mean, like, people drink. That's about it. That's, uh, that's people, not very exciting. People smoke pot in the garage. That's about it. Yeah. All, that, all that sort of stuff gets in the way of uh, working on the music. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. And also because uh, the modern workflow is so streamlined, like, you don't have to... Like habitate there, right? I mean, editing is so quick that you can, you know, get what would take hours on tape done in minutes. There's a lot less downtime I feel now than when than way back when. It's more go 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 in and yeah. out, and yeah. So there's not as much room for fooling around or right. socializing well, as much as there might or, be. Or 
nodding out on heroin and losing half a day because of it. Like, it doesn't, like, you could get away with that when you have 29 more days. But when you're in there for less time than the minimum amount of time you'd need to do a record, then you just have to be on and mm. be focused. Yeah. And even the bands that start drinking at noon, still, they stay sober enough to get their work done. And if they're out of there by a certain time of day. Yeah. <laughs> they can take the rest of the party elsewhere. Well, I, well, out of there by a certain time of day is like 10 or 11 at night because you, you do still have the 10 to 12-hour days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Less so the 16-hour days, but there, there were a couple times in the internship it's just like, didn't I get here <laughs> 16 yesterday? Hours ago. Oh, man. But you love the work so much that yeah. that never really bothered you. Right. And I mean, like when you're an intern and your job is to sit quietly and not have opinions, it's kind of way more exhausting to sit there and do nothing than it is to actually have something to do and have oh, something to focus yeah. on. I mean, you're, you probably get bored. Inevitably. Yeah, you, you get bored and you do hear things that you don't necessarily agree with tonally just because like you're in this to use your ears and to think about the sound critically and to have your own opinions but the mo you know the cardinal rule is of interning is keep them to yourself mm -hmm. um the reason for that all has to do with with maintaining artist confidence in their producer yeah if you don't want to see two staff members arguing with each you other you don't want to see that you don't want i mean it's it's worse it's like more than that it's you don't want to put in the band's head an idea that's different from what the producer has, even if it's good. If you're like, wow, that take was great, and the producer's like, no, it wasn't, then all of a sudden, you know, you have this, you've put this contradiction in the mind of the band, and the band's like, well, yeah, our producer says do it again, but this bitch likes it, and we'd rather people with tits listen to our music than record producers. So, and every band wants to know what the intern thinks because they, I feel like they view the intern as the more closest. More of a peer. More of, not more of a peer, just sort of the closest to a fan that they have in the studio, basically. You're the one who's not getting paid to be there. Oh, uh, yeah, so, yeah. So probably somebody listening to this, they've uh -huh. already had a lot of takeaways already, but... Um, if there is somebody listening to you talk about this who is interested in becoming a professional uh, mixing engineer, mm -hmm. a recording engineer themselves, do you have any other advice for them? Uh, don't, so that'll leave more work for the rest of us. Uh, um, do something else. <laughs> yeah, get your fancy tech job and make a bunch of money and then buy all your gear and have fun doing it. Do it in your home. Doing it in your home. No, um, I think the most important thing is to have dedication. Like, I've been... Yeah, you got to do a 16-hour day and not break a sweat, sounds like. You, well, you have to be willing to do a 16-hour day if you need to do a 16-hour day. Yeah. Uh, you have, like, just... If we include going to school like I did, I put in three years of work without getting paid and then just started making money. And I mean, the way things are trending, like this month will be a good month. Next month should be even better, especially if the workshop goes well. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's all up from there. But it still was you know, two internships and then two years of school and working my ass off to be the best that I could at all yeah, of it. Yeah. And I don't 
believe that people stumble into success anymore. You got to be very serious and be the hardest working person right. in the room. Yeah. And and plus, like even if people do stumble into success, like that's like trying to get rich by playing the lottery. Just work hard. Yeah, it's an easy workaround. Yeah, solution. it's. It, it's just the easiest career in the world. You just have to work your ass off and not get paid, <laughs> except not getting paid. And then eventually, maybe stuff will happen. Yeah. At the very least, you get the satisfaction of having made something and putting the work into yeah. doing that. I mean, it's you're doing what a lot of people dream about doing. Yeah. You get to do it as much as you want or as much well, as, as, as much can. as I can. <laughs> yeah, as much as you can. Um, having gotten this far into... Uh, the recording field so far is has there been anything totally different than what you're expecting uh all of it <laughs> so <laughs> uh i mean i feel like when recording is put in the public discourse and sort of in the public mindset it's all from a historical basis so all the documentaries are about what studios were doing in the 60s and 70s yeah. and and uh, all the tv shows are you know what was happening in the 90s, and we're still not to the point where people are really looking back at the music industry post-Napster. Mm-hmm. There's no straight... That's still too... feels recent. <laughs> right. I mean, if we're just going by where biopics are, like... So what people have in mind as far as what it is is a lot glitzier than I think it actually is. It's, it's very dated. Yeah, it's dated. Um, seems like there's a lot more money going around and... It's all focused on drama, so of course you'll see someone smashing up a studio and it's like, yeah, you're never going to work again if you do that in real life. Like, you can't break the control room glass like I've seen in at least two movies. Nowadays there's little money, there's no drama, there's just the work, it's work. and the music. Yeah. And I think the focusing on the fact that it is work uh, is the most important thing. I mean, it's a job. And you have to do things that aren't fun as part of your job. And part of that, just based on how the industry is structured, is, you know, cleaning toilets for free for six months. Because there's hundreds of people that would gladly take your place. Because there's hundreds of people that would gladly take your place until they realize that it's cleaning toilets. (laughs) I mean, it was at least a month before I was allowed to touch a microphone. And this is coming from having already done an internship, having Yeah, you were in a whole audio engineering program. Yeah, did the program, having done my own thing, having assisted on, you know, other records. Uh, And the reason is because those things are really expensive and they're really fragile. And studios don't have the overhead to to risk an intern breaking a $4,000 microphone. Totally, yeah. You get through the toilet cleaning, one, because if you actually do it every day like you're supposed to, it's not that gross. And two, because you just say, think of all the famous asses that have sat on this Ah, thing. Exactly. This was Eddie Vedder's favorite stall. Well, I'm pretty sure that the toilet is different from when he was there. Bummer. For a while, they did have a pool table that he apparently had sex on. Oh, that's right. You were telling me that. But then they got rid of it because nobody wanted it. It's all gross and smelly. (laughs) Probably. So from here on out, what are your... uh, do you have any particular goals as far as your future career? Where do you hope to go from here? Uh, well, first step is making a decent living. Mm. So close, <laughs> but <Getting> so <laughs> far, uh, it's just it's to continue to do it to uh, avoid having to get a day job. 
I hear my, you there. Yeah, my, my biggest like success milestone that I'm really looking forward to is talking with a band and having them actually heard something that I've done. Mm. Which I'm hoping that this That's record I'm working on. Yeah. yeah, I'm hoping that this record I'm working on now will do that. Cause They're complex dialects. No, no. Uh, the Twice Nice record. Indie rock from Vashon, young kids, really cool. Uh, they consider themselves surf punk, but I think they're more indie leaning with some surf elements. Okay. One that, thing that stuff's pretty popular. Yeah, I know. Uh, one thing I I like about them is that they're not married to a shtick. Mm. So they definitely have sort of like that you know rapid fire, Dick Dale, yeah. strumming, and but they can do other stuff. And cl- well, yeah, they've got. Like there's one song that they, they refer to as their Sonic Youth song because it's more guitar textury than necessarily like a clean guitar with a driving surf rhythm, um, and I think it really works. And also, I mean, makes my job a lot more interesting because I get to do a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, yeah. Instead of just doing the same mix over and over and over again. Um, and I also think it really helps them sort of diversify their sound and explore where they want to go while not necessarily going out of, you know, completely out of left field. It fits with their other work. It's just they're taking a different inspiration, but the starting point is still the same. And I think that actually works really well for even well-established bands because it allows you to flex your creative muscles and to create something new and exciting without completely ignoring who you are mm-hmm. yeah so that project's going to finish up soon and you're you're excited at the prospect of being associated with that people right. people hear that and they'll they'll see your name and yeah uh, and i mean it's a real blow to the ego when you go to network with a band like uh, well like well i did i did a record with these guys who oh yeah like, yeah yeah i know you haven't heard of them but, but that's who I've worked but with. But that's who I've worked with. Would yeah. you like to listen to it to see if what I did with them would work for you? No? Okay. Well, Everyone wants to work with people who have done something that's done something. Yeah. Like, oh, I've heard of that. That's, yeah. That's what you need and, for better oh, or for worse. And they like the association with the association with these larger acts. Yeah. I'm, I know a couple of the guys at London Bridge still get a lot of work because they were there when those 90s bands were there. Yeah, and yeah. They were interns and assistants at the time. They weren't the ones doing the main producing and engineering. But they can still you know, trade on those bands because they were there and they learned how to do those kind of records. So it seems like the career of a lot of uh, engineers like yourself, mm-hmm. they get tied to a certain project that has a certain amount of success. And that's kind of like just in terms of their business, that can be a milestone. Yeah. So that's, I mean, you're not actively seeking it out, but that's something you are looking forward to. Uh, I'm curious what it, go along. I'm curious what it'll end up being. Yeah. Cause I think ultimately everyone whose career lasts long enough has a thing that they're known for. I mean, but at the same time, you can't like plan on that. Being, yeah. You can't manufacture Because it. you never know. Yeah. And it might not even end up being like the most creatively interesting project right. you worked on necessarily. It's just, I mean, it's like winning the lottery or yeah. I guess the odds are better than that, but. Mm-hmm. Well, not much. <laughs> Might be that sort of thing. Until it happens, you have to approach every project like it's going to be the one yeah. that breaks you. And when it does happen, you still you, gotta you still have gotta that ethic. Yeah, yeah, well, because that's what everyone is going to expect from going to you. You don't want to be, wow, I went to, 
I went to Lillian because she did this great record, but the thing she did was complete tripe. Like she yeah, just phoned it she's, in. She's dialing it in now. Yeah, exactly. Can't dial it in. Yeah. And and you never know when like something new is going to come up that's going to be your new thing that yeah. you're known for. So I mean. Yeah, you could have several different milestones like exactly. that different arenas. So it, it's sort of just like you need to approach every project, whether you're recording demos in your basement or doing a full band at a smaller studio like the Vera Project or doing you know, a month-long session at London Bridge. You need to approach it like it's going to be the thing that makes your career. Yeah, I mean, the goal is always the same. Just make the best-sounding stuff you can make. Yeah. I mean, that. yeah, it's the same thing. It's just sort of like you want to give your artist the best that you can because that's your job. And by doing that, you give, like, not only are they, if you keep them happy and give them a good product, are they going to come back for more, which is more work, but then the people who listen to that are going to hear what you can do and then come to you, so that's more work. Yeah. And... It's, and so, like, I mean, you you can look at it sort of like cynically and businessly and saying, like, this is about building my career, but you've also chosen a career that's about giving an artist, like enabling an artist to have this type of technical and musical expression yeah. and to make their lives, I don't want to say easy because sometimes you want to make things really hard for your artist. But you want to make the artist as part the of best the they can be. Right. You, you want to get the best... Them. I mean, that's the difference between live and studio recording. Like, a mistake during live sound, that's going to affect the performance, like, the show. Yeah. But the next show, you can either avoid it or not, and no one's going to remember small problems, but when it's recorded, that's it. Yeah. And you're going to hear that flubbed note every time you listen to it, and you're going to hear the muddy low end every time you listen to it, unless you really take the time to make sure that that's fixed yeah that's great that you kind of uh you figured out that you wanted that to be your life's work yeah i mean i came to it probably the way a lot of people come to it i've been a musician all my life actually having a music like i had some health stuff that got in the way of actually pursuing a music career and ultimately i've never been happy on stage but this combination of technical knowledge and using things with big knobs and yeah you like working behind the scenes yeah I, I do it's it, it's sort of like you use technology that's 40 years old because it sounds good and you also use technology that came out a month ago because it sounds good it it's sort of it feels like it bridges generations as well as or like time periods as well as focuses on doing this specific thing which ultimately I mean like the records that you make they're going to be listened to decades from when you make them even yeah, if it's just good. even if it's just by the artist or the artist's family and they put it on once a year or something they just listen to it they're still going to listen to it so yeah, it has yeah. to be it has to hold up it has to hold up and it has to inspire positive memories and it has to be worth making and it's really cool that you get to be a part of that. Yeah. So uh, to wrap up, tell me about this uh, Vera workshop you got going okay, on. Okay, okay, okay. So anyway, this is our third in a series, as I said earlier. This mm -hmm. is our studio workshop. And the studio workshop is going to 
focus on providing, it's mostly geared towards younger bands um, that are, you know, late teens, early 20s, just getting started off, not really knowing what the right path for them is. Because, I mean, even like genre-wise, some genres you have to go to the giant studio because everything else sound, has that sound and you're going to be doing yourself a disservice if you don't get that sound. Some genres, you have to be really careful going to a giant studio because unless you use that studio creatively, you're going to get a sound that doesn't fit with your genre. See, yeah. The workshop is targeting uh, bands that don't that either have minimal recording experience or no recording experience. And the idea is to just sort of lay out the various st stages of planning and making a record, as well as to give them knowledge as to which path is the best for where they are in their career. And finally, to provide a networking opportunity uh, so that these younger bands can meet more established working professionals in the industry, because mm -hmm. we're we're having you know local producers come in. Ultimately, what we are hoping is that if you don't have recording plans already, and maybe even if you do, that you'll come and you'll learn something and be able to proceed forward with knowledge mm. and get informed. Yeah. Inf I mean, informed bands are way more fun to work with than not informed bands. What do we do here? Yeah, what we do we do here? We don't just record everything at once. What What do you mean? We have to sit around for two hours while you set up everything. What do you got to tune the drums? There's yeah. No notes. <laughs> yeah uh, so if you're a young band, you don't know what you're doing in the studio, you want to get informed on recording. Or if you just to want to network with other bands yeah. and producers. Meet, meet some, some people in the industry. It's yes. It's a thing to do. So this is what's the time of it again? From 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Show up like half an hour early to network or whatever. Uh, Saturday. Saturday, September 23rd at the Vera Project in okay. downtown Seattle. Cool. All right. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. This was a very interesting discussion. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I learned a lot. And again, definitely go to that workshop if you want to start uh, dipping your toes into the world of recording. And if you want to follow Lillian on Instagram, she's at Lillian Blair, which is spelled L-I-L-I-N-B-L-A-I-R. And her website is LillianBlair.com. So if you liked this episode of Talking About the Passion, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Sign up for the Niagara Moon mailing list for weekly updates on the podcast and for my musical project, Niagara Moon. Plus, you'll get access to my upcoming private live stream where I play songs for you. To sign up for that, go to niagramoonmusic.com, scroll down, and enter in your email address. Find the podcast on Facebook at Talking About the Passion. I'm also on Twitter at TATP Podcast and on Instagram at Niagara Moon Music. If you want to write to me, you can email tatppodcast at gmail.com. The theme song for Talking About the Passion is the Niagara Moon song Pantheon Bar off my 2017 album, Eating Peaches. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next Wednesday.